Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mid-Mid-Masque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The result of the fourth edition of the Everest is firmly ensconced in the record books, but the Spring Carnival is just warming up. Saturday, October 31st, we'll see the running of the second Golden Eagle at Rose Hill Gardens, a set weights race for four-year-olds over 1,500 metres, carrying an astonishing purse of $7.5 million. One week after that, all roads lead to Newcastle for the second running of the Hunter for three-year-olds and upwards over 1,300 metres, carrying $1 million in prize money. Saturday the 21st of November, the action heads down the coast for the Gong, another million-dollar race for three-year-olds and upwards over the testing Kembla Mile. Savatiano won the Hunter last year, Mr Seawolf won the Gong. Who'll be joining them in the record books this year as huge prize money brings good horses to two famous provincial tracks. It was very pleasing to see Tim Donnelly win half the card at the Wagga meeting on October the 3rd. Tim saddled up three runners on the six-race program and all three won decisively. It's now 16 years since Tim Donnelly began training in Wagga after 17 years in Sydney where he enjoyed a very healthy strike rate and had the privilege of training the ghostly grey Quick Flick whose 16 wins and 13 placings netted almost $1.3 million in prize money. Quick Flick won a Group 1 George Ryder and seven other stakes races. Before taking out his own licence in 1987, Tim had six years with Tommy Smith in two separate stints and worked for Neville Begg in between. Later, Neville Voigt appointed him as stable foreman when he quit the saddle to become a trainer in 1984. Tim's first training win was provided by Go Bellbird in a Hawkesbury maiden in 1988, and about a year later, the same horse gave him his first city win at Canterbury, and the rider on both occasions was Tim's great mate, Mark de Montfort. When big stables started to squeeze the smaller stables out in the early 2000s, Tim opted for a move back to his hometown of Wagga and he's been there ever since. He works a team of 12, a stone's throw from the Wagga racecourse and he's enjoying the country life. Tim Donnelly, it's great to catch up, mate. It's been a long time. Yeah, good to hear from you, Jonathan, and thanks for having me on. A pleasure. I saw all of your three wins at Wagga the other day, and I said to myself, that man's lost nothing. Uh, well, John, you can't do it without the horses first thing. You need the horses. Mm. It is a help, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The first winner, the first of your treble, was a debutante by the dual derby winner and Caulfield Cup winner, Mongolian Khan. Your bloke's called Mongolian Brave. He won a 1,000-metre maiden with Matthew Carl up, and he looks to have a lot of raw ability, Tim. It, that, that's exactly what I said to the owners before the race, John. Uh, what he'll do today is just his raw ability. Still a big baby. Hadn't, hasn't even turned three yet uh, by birth date. 
Um, and obviously we'll get better as he gets over longer. I, I really like him. I just wanted to give him the one run. Made a good thing of him, put him in a weak race, uh, and, and he's out in the paddock now. That's a shot, and you'll leave him out, what, six weeks? Yeah, he'll have eight weeks out, and we'll bring him back and try and aim him for the guineas at Wagga uh, in May. It's it's an $80,000 race over a mile. Mm. Your second winner on the day was Torsa Tan, who won her maiden after having had six runs in town for John Thompson in much stronger grade. Now, Tim, she's out of a half-sister to tie the knot, and she is a half-sister to Cherry Tortoni. That's right, John. Um, I actually trained Tortoni, the mother of uh, Cherry Tortoni and Torsetton. Mm. Um, she, uh, she was the last foal out of Whist uh, by Strategic, mm. and I won a 1,000-metre race with her. She only had four starts, and uh, she had uh, lung problems, and, and we re- really didn't see the best of her. She, she would have been a Saturday-class Sydney horse for sure, and she's had uh, three foals to race now for three winners. Mm. Torsetton is raced by Sandy Tate and his sister Jill Niverson and carried those famous colours, the all red with the white cap. They're great colours, Tim. I saw so much of them as a race caller. They're simple but very, very outstanding. Uh, that's right, John. Um, actually, most of Sandy's horses that race with me carry Sandy's mother's colours, uh, the green and white halves, mm. um, and, and horses that they race mainly in the country carry those colours, and Sandy likes to see those colours go around. Mm. And my later winner that day, Pushka, he carries those colours, um, the green and white. But um, I've only got one set of those colours, and because of COVID, if you have two different jockeys mm. riding the same day, they can't wear the same colours. So I said, look, they're probably going to clash, so I'll leave Torsetton in the red and white. And, and strangely enough, uh, for some reason, I raced Tortoni in the red and white as well, I just because she was mm. tied the not half-sister. Mm. Let's look at some of the nicer ones you've trained since going back to Wagga. Jojo Girl was a lot of fun. She won six, 14 placings. I mean, how do you find one that can run 14 placings? They're an owner's dream, Tim. She won a race at Randwick too. She did, John. Look, uh, James Tate um, and his brother Ollie and and one of his cousins uh, and a group of mates, they bought her for $3,000 as a tried horse, hoping to win a couple of races around the bush. Mm. And she won six races in the one season, you know, culminating in that win at Randwick. Uh, She had another place at Randwick as well. Um, but yeah, she was honestly absolutely loved the wet, and um, and she could stay. So you know, obviously, there's not a lot of staying horses in the country areas. So she's you know outstay them a lot of the time. Mm. You got a horse called Devised from the Lloyd Williams Yard after he'd won a maiden at Cranbourne, and you went on to win four with him, including a Corowa Cup and a Murrumbidgee Cup at Wagga. I noticed. Looking up his form, you spaced his runs and you must have looked after him. Yeah, John, he was a very lightly framed horse, a poor eater and drinker. Uh, and mm. once I worked him out that you, if you spaced his runs, that's that's what he really liked. Um, and anyone, uh, Murrumbidgee Cup, which was the lead up to the Wagga Cup, uh, mm. used to get back and have a big finish. And uh, unfortunately, he got beaten in the nose in two Wagga Cups, um, you know, which, which is unfortunate. Mm. You must have had a big opinion of a French-bred horse called Pontmain. Recently, only last year, you gave him two starts for a win in a mile maiden at Wagga and then you shipped him straight to town for a tab highway at Randwick. You ran second, beaten a short head. Now, something must have gone horribly wrong after that. 
Yes, John, he, he did a tendon after that um, and, you know, he, he's had a rehab and he's, he, we're just giving him plenty of time. He, he would probably be the nicest horse I've had since I've been back in Wagga. Mm. The day I got him, he, he, he'd um, – He'd had a bit of work. His owner actually had a trainer's license, and he'd given him about six weeks' work, and he decided to give him to me. And the day he gave him uh, to me, I galloped him the next day, and I rang him up and I said, "You'll never have a better horse than this horse. He was the most beautiful mover." Mm. Um, and we, I just set him for that mile maiden at Wagga, five-year-old, just having had one trial, and, and and he won at big odds for us, which was great. And mm. I knew he was good enough to go to town after that, and he he probably should have won that day too. Mm. I mean, it's, you must have been very confident to, to go straight from a Wagga maiden to a Tab Highway, second start. Yes, John, look, I, I would, would rate him a better stayer than devised. You know, he's the most, the most magnificent mover. Yeah, lovely. A horse, a horse called Le Havre, who, who's mm. a very good sire over in France. Right. And Tim, has he finished? No, look, he's not finished yet, Dan, and look, it might be two years between runs, but I keep thinking, well, it took him five years to get, get to his first start, so another two years won't worry him. <laughs> no. You've got another old horse down there you've been having a lot of fun with. You own him yourself, in fact, Powers Court. He's only a bushy, but he has won five in the bush, including two at Wagga. He's paying his way. Yeah, look, he's been a, a good uh, money spinner for, for me, John, like a really good honest horse. Yeah, look, he has a bit of feed issues. But look, he's eight year old. And he's only had twenty two starts or something like that. And and his um, his second last win it was a fantastic day. I was at Wagga, and my princess Henny had just come back from injury. Uh, she'd been off for fourteen months, and she won on him. And it was my mother's ninetieth birthday, and Mum never misses a race meeting, so it was a great day. Ah, wonderful, memorable. Now, Ashtamina Tim was a fun mare. She'd had one win from sixteen starts out of Sydney stables but went on to win four races for you at Wagga, at Tuka and Gundagai, and I don't know how many placings. Yeah, she was an honest mare, a very, very keen-going mare. Um, she was bred by John Moore. And mm. uh, anyway, look, uh, James Tate and a partner, sim- similar owners to Jojo Girl, they bought her for a reasonable price and then and sort of got the best out of her and, and she won over 100000 in prize money. And, mm. and then they eventually sold her and they got a reasonable price for her when they sold her to her. Mm. You've got a four-year-old mare there by the name of Pressed for Time who's had only one start for a very impressive maiden win at Wagga before sustaining an injury, and you were pretty shattered when that happened. Yeah, she. Um, I, I gave her a spell straight after she won at Wagga. She, she, uh, at, she won at the carnival as a two-year-old against the older horses, which is no mean feat, put her away and then brought her back, and then she had a stress fracture of the pelvis. Mm. But um, she's she's back in work now. She's she's had a month on the water walker here at Wagga, and then um, and she's been back in work here a week. So so far so good with her. I, I bought her at the Ready to Runs in New Zealand, similar to Mongolian Brave, and and I've had a bit of luck there. So um, you know, fingers crossed that you know she can stay sound because she is a good filly. Mm. We'll keep an eye out. Pressed for time. That's T H Y M E. Now, in the sixteen years you've been back in Wagga. You've had two apprentice jockeys, both girls, Henny Eid, who's with you right now, and Rebecca Prest, who was still riding track work but hasn't returned to race riding following an injury. Both great kids, great girls and good riders. Yeah, you know, it, it's 
great to have both of them, John. Um, uh, Beck, uh, she won the apprentice's title when she was here with me, and she actually just got beaten in the jockey's premiership for the SDRA, only she was injured for part of that time. She actually would have won it. Mm. And Henny's ha- Henny had um, – she rode for about three months and then broke a leg. A horse threw her in the enclosure at Ballarat, and she broke a leg and was off for 14 months. Mm. And so she first had to start again. She'd only ridden one winner at the time. But she's, she's just ridden her 20th winner mm. uh, last weekend. So she's down to two kilos, and she's going well. And she'd, she'd never touched a horse before she came here, So which, which mm. is, you know, it, it's a good effort by her. Matthew Carl. Uh, has been tremendously successful for your stable. Um, as they say, your Banjo Patterson may have used the words, no finer horseman ever held the reins. No, John, He, I would say he's the best jockey I've seen in, 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 in the country area. Mm. Um, every time he gets off a horse, he can tell you something, you know, and he's sort of my go-to jockey when I, a, a young one or, you know, I think that one can win. I'll get Matty to do the job and, you know, more often than not he does. But, no, he's terrific. You've had great success with Kayla Nisbet, who rides a million winners in the Riverina. Yeah, Kayla's a, a great girl and, look, everyone loves Kayla. And, and I actually used her when she was like a two-kilo apprentice. She rode a couple of winners for me early on and, you know, I still use her to this day. She rode a winner for me there um, last week. Mm. I remember in uh, your Sydney days at Canterbury and Randwick, you were a great Wayne Harris fan, and you've been telling me just very recently that there's a family connection there somewhere. Yeah, um, Wayne's father and my mother were in the same class at school. They were in a one-room school, and they were the only two in their class. So, um, so we've known the family a long time. Though there was a place yeah. called Stewartsbrook up near Scone. Goodness me! And then Wayne's family moved to Musselbrook, obviously after that. Yeah, yeah, years later, mm. yep. Yeah. Now, Tim, back to the beginning. On leaving school, you thought you'd like to be an accountant and you actually enrolled for a degree at the Wagga Uni. How long did that last? Well, I think Mum and Dad wanted me to be an accountant more than I did. Um, <laughs> it, look, it didn't last 12 months, John. Um, look, I love racing. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a jockey, right? Mm. And, and and probably... I. For the betterment, um, I completed the year 12 and started accountancy. I just didn't like it at all. I just wanted to be involved in racing. I, I didn't know what I would do in racing. I just wanted to be involved in racing. Mm. Well, your dad was very friendly with Pat Smith, the younger brother of Tommy, Ernie and Dick Smith, and it was Pat who got you a start at Tuttock Lodge in 1977. An exciting day. Yeah, it was. Um, dad and Pat were best mates from from when they were sort of virtually teenagers. They lived in a boarding house together at Griffith, and, and I I used to actually go over and work for Pat in the school holidays at his news agency. There. Mm. And um, but uh, you know, like horses, were, you know, the main topic of conversation. That's for sure. Mm. Now back then, young, fit, light stable hands were usually asked to ride work. Now you'd ridden a few ponies as a kid. So they gave you a quick audition and you were okay at it. Yeah, look, every, everyone sort of, TJ loved, loved everyone to ride. Like even if people come that couldn't ride, it, it, that, we would teach them how to ride. So, and, and look, I was, I was the same. I'd, I probably hadn't ridden a horse for five or six years, like since I was in, in primary school. Mm. Um, but you learned quickly and look, the horses were pretty quiet. So, mm. you know, and you didn't get on one that was going to be any bother. So, you know, it wasn't hard to learn. 
Mm. What level did you reach as a work rider? No, look, not a lot of TJs because they obviously had so many jockeys there. Uh, I actually used to do a lot of the work up in the box with TJ and, uh, early on and mm. then sort of out in the middle legging the jockeys on and off. But you'd go and ride your one early. And and then you just sort of just did it as required. Like on a slow morning, you might do might do a couple. But actually, probably when I when I um, finished there, I actually rode more work than what I rode at Two J's. How did you get on with him, Tim? No, really well, really well. Look, it, it, it was a great place to work. It it was easy. It was so much routine. You know, you were in and out quickly. Um, you got the job done. Uh, no, it was a great place to work, and, and I got on with him well. You arrived at Tullock Lodge a week before he won the Metropolitan with a horse called Sir Serene for an owner called Perscalia. Peter Cook rode Sir Serene and you happily discovered that staff received a little present if one of the horses happened to win a Group 1. So I assume you gracefully accepted the sling. Yeah, look, everyone, if we won a big race, TJ would come around and give everyone $20 the next day. He'd give it to you personally. Mm. The strapper, I remember the strapper then, got given $700. So yeah, yeah. back in 1977. So that, that was probably about two months' wages really. Yeah, but no, and, and whatever, whenever you had a winner, whether it was a Saturday or Wednesday, the next day TJ would front up with the cash for you there. Now to one of the most important phases of your career, a couple of months that you spent in the presence of a king. You looked after Kingston Town for his last seven runs. You took him to Melbourne in the spring of 1982, where he immediately won the Caulfield Stakes, then his third Cox Plate. Then you witnessed something at Tommy Smith's Melbourne stables that gave you a hell of a fright. Yeah, I was um, I was staying at the stables. There was a, a room there and I stayed in the room. And... Um, about oh, lunchtime, I heard this bit of commotion outside and Kingston Town was out in the yard uh, next to another horse. And he was never yarded in um, in Sydney. He was always in a box. And then, But anyway, he, he went out mm. in the yard in, in Melbourne and he was playing with the horse next to him and he'd reared up and got his uh, shoe caught in the cyclone fencing right at the top as high as he could rear. Mm. I came out and here he is, you know, strung up on the fence um, fortunately for him, he put his other foot up where the bricks came to and he was able to rest it. And anyway, he I balanced himself. Dar- you mean he, yeah, balanced, he balanced, balanced himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. I had to rush over the road. Darcy Christie, the foreman, he lived over the road and everything was locked up. And I was just trying to get some shoeing gear just so I could knock the shoe off. Mm. So I ran over there. By the time I got back, he'd actually got himself down, um, and, but he'd bruised his paston quite badly. Um, so, and this is the week. Uh, this is a week out from the Melbourne Cup. Now he was to have run in the McKinnon Stakes on the Saturday. That didn't happen. No. Um, well, uh, uh, TJ got back that afternoon from Sydney, and he arrived there with Percy Sykes. And TJ wanted Percy to give him some beauty. He said, "You can't give him beauty. He's running on Saturday." He said, "It's too too close to the race." Mm. And anyway, in the end, he, he, he decided not to run him in the McKinnon because the bruising hadn't really gone down. And then he went in the, into the Melbourne Cup without running in McKinnon, which was the, the traditional leader. Mm. Do you think that cost him the cup? Look, it may have. Um, who knows? He, he, um, 
he only just got beaten anyway. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I I don't think it did. Um, you know, champions can overcome anything. Yeah. Well, he had the cup shot to bits, didn't he? Until Mick Dittman rode the race of his life to beat him a neck on Gurners Lane. But looking back, uh, it 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 was sad, wasn't it, that he didn't win a Melbourne Cup? He deserved to. Well, he deserved to. Like a, a horse like that doesn't run in handicaps anymore. Um, so he, he did des- deserve to win one. It just would have topped off his career, I think. Mm. It's well documented that a strained near four suspensory finished his career. At what point, Tim, looking back, did that injury first present itself? Well, uh, I took him over to Perth. Well, he came over to Perth. Actually, I, I left a week earlier to go over to Perth. Mm. They w- weren't um, – he probably wasn't quite sound after the Melbourne Cup, Kingston Town, so I think they might have been deciding whether they would send him or not. Mm. Um, and Anyway, so I was there a week early, and then he came over to get ready for, for the Western Mail, which is the 1,800-metre race, wait for age race. And uh, I think his last gallop he had um, before the Western Mail, he probably broke he was probably broke down then, really. Mm. Uh, and, and he just went in the Western Mail on three links, really. Yeah, absolutely, and that was it. That was his swan song. He did go to America a long time after for one quick little preparation with the legendary trainer Charles Whittingham, but he was never able to get him to the track. No, that's right, that's right. Well, so he – and the thing about Kingston Town, which people forget, like he was a better horse than Sydney way of going, hmm. yet the only autumn where all the big Sydney races are, the only autumn he ever ran in was when he was three. He never hmm. raced in the autumn again because he was recovering from his injuries each time, um, hmm. you know, to hmm. get him back for the spring. Hmm. The Western Mail was over 1,800 metres. He hadn't raced for 25 days and you say he missed some work. He beat a horse called Getting Closer in that race by a length, a very smart horse. Uh, he was – Absolute freak, Kingston Town, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and a funny story: the strapper of getting closer was Lindsay Smith, the trainer now that uh, who trains at Warrnambool and in Perth. And Lindsay and I, great friends, we, we struck a great friendship there. And he's doing well in Victoria too. Yeah, very good trainer, John. A well-known Sydney owner by the name of Stan Dumbrell kick-started your training career. He gave you a small string to train. And you had an amazing run. You began your training career at Canterbury, the old Canterbury uh, training centre, and obviously found the facilities okay in that era. Look, I like Canterbury, John. It, it was quiet. Um, we had the course proper to gallop on uh, once a week. We used to always get the course proper on a Monday, uh, and we had an inside grass there as well. Look, it was nice and quiet. I liked it. Look, there was a bit of a stigma attached to Canterbury that, that you know, sort of you were only a lesser trainer there, but I, I actually quite enjoyed it there. And I know Jack Denham was hugely successful there before he went to Rose Hill. Mm. A lot of uh, smaller trainers there, Tim. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to think there was Splinter Duggan and Skeeter Hazelton. Yeah, uh, um, Colin Vickery. He, yep. he, he, he was a fantastic trainer, Colin. You know, a guy with a small team, he, he unfortunately died young. But he, he was a great trainer. Gary Nixon Rod, was there for yeah, a while. Yeah, Gary Nixon, Rod Craig, um, yeah. Bruce Cross, um, uh, Lee Curtis. There's four guys there that came out of Canterbury with train group one winners. Mm. And, Tim, there was a certain veteran jockey who spent most of his career riding work for those little Canterbury trainers. He was a friend to all, 
a great judge, a very, very good rider and a champion bloke, the late Norm Munsey. Yeah, Norm was a terrific bloke. He actually even rode a couple for me. Like Mark used to, Mark DeMoffitt used to come and ride most of my gallops, but a couple of times I was stuck and Norm, even though he, he never had a ride for me, he'd, he'd jump on one no problem and, and he could tell you something too. And, and Glenn and I are good friends as well, like I've known Glenn for ages. Volcanic Prince had only 10 starts. Mark de Monford rode him in nine of them. On the 4th of May 1989, you took him to Wagga for a two-year-old maiden over 1,000 metres and you got the chocolates. Yeah, John, he, he actually, he was only my second winner. It took me 18 months, nearly, or nearly 18 months to get my second winner. Um, we took, I think we took five horses down to Wagga that, uh, that carnival and, um, we had three winners and two seconds, but uh, mm. uh, Volcanic Prince was certainly the star. Like he, he was, we, we'd trialed him previously. I think the December previously, and just gave him a quiet trial. He got beaten twenty lengths, but um, Show County did win the trial. Mm. And, and uh, Mark came back in after the trial and he said, "We've got another Crown Jester here because he did a similar thing with Crown Jester before he had his first race." So uh, we just had to wait for the right day. Um, in those days too, there were seventy bookmakers at Wagga on, on uh, oh, yeah. over the carnival. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was a nice little fill-up. Well, you turned Volcanic Prince out straight after that two-year-old maiden win, and he wasn't seen again until October. He reeled off a hat trick: Rose Hill, Randwick, and then a one hundred thousand dollar race at Orange, sponsored by Prime Television. Yes, John, he he broke the track record at. Um, at Orange, and uh, like there was good horses in that race. Uh, um, uh, that horse of Barb Joseph's Marimbula Bay, he, he won the Doncaster. It was in there, um, and mm. a horse of Harry Clark's uh, Happy Sailing. Like the, the, mm. I think she might have won a Group One too. She won one of those one of, one of those big mares races at Rose Hill. Yeah. So it was a strong field, and he broke. The, he went head and head with a horse called Babs Gay all the way, and he ran one twenty one something. Mm. But on on reflection. Like I probably had him too early. Um, it probably gassed him that race. And, and John Carruthers, the vet, who was Jack Denham's vet, he's also the STV mm. vet at the time. He said to me, he, "I raced him again, and he ran fourth in the festival handicap." And, and he said to me after that, he said, "I think when you raced that horse at Orange, he said that might have hurt him because he said you're 800 feet above or meters, whatever it was, above sea level." Mm. on a horse trained at sea level. He said that might have taken a lot out of him, and, and he was mm. probably right. God, what an interesting theory. That was John Carruthers' theory. Yep, that's right. And, and, and if you look at it, though, the, um, you know, the athletes, they go and train at a high altitude now. It's a bit like horses coming down from Toowoomba down to Brisbane. So. I remember John Carruthers. Jack Denham, you know, would never have a vet in the place uh, at Rose Hill, but if he ever found himself in desperate need of one, John Carruthers was the one he would always contact. He had a wry sense of humour and every now and again he'd come out with a pearl of wisdom. He said to me once, if you want to be a horse trainer, you need two things, common sense and a thermometer. <laughs> exactly. Chris Waller takes every horse's temperature every day, so that you know it's probably you know a simple thing that people should do. But, mm. um, but, it, but he said to me about that that high altitude. He said because he saw when Denham would go to the um, Black Opal 
and his horses had struggled after the Black Oval running at Canberra, coming back to run in the slipper. Mm. Um, like I know Catbird was able to do it, but he was trained at Canberra. Yeah. Well, I've never heard that one before, Tim, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. It was like when the uh, Olympians went to Mexico City. You know, and it was a higher altitude. A lot of them struggled. Mm. Good point. I remember a horse you had whose name rolled off the tongue, Polyphony. You won seven races with him all up, including four on city tracks and an Albury Cup. Mark de Montfort rode him in all seven. Didn't he have a finishing run, that horse? Yeah, he, he certainly did. Actually got to thank Carol de Montfort. She actually named that horse. She was a, she was a part owner and she, she named the horse. Um, yeah, look, he, 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 all his uh, wins in town were at Randwick. He used to get back and storm down the outside. He would not go inside a horse. Um, and uh, he had he was only a little horse too, but no, he had a great finish. And, mm. and when he won the Albury Cup, he actually backed up from winning at, at um, Wagga at uh, sorry Randwick the previous Saturday. Six mm. days later, he backed up at Albury, and that Albury Cup then was worth fifty thousand. The prize money had gone up when a city race was worth thirty six. So it was good yeah. money. Yeah, you had a horse called Torjoy, a full brother to the Melbourne Cup winner Torrific. You won three straight in town with him at one stage. He finished up with Eric Musgrove over the hurdles. In, I think he won a couple of hurdle races eventually. He did. I, I, I think he eventually bled, uh, John. Yeah, look, mm. I, I probably got him too early in my career, Tor Joy. I'd love to have him now. He had a dynamic sprint. Um, I got him to 2000 and, and he was actually going to – he was favourite for the Summer Cup and he just had a bit of soreness behind his knee and anyway – uh, the vet said, look, we can treat him and he can run that cup and, uh, and he would have won it. But I thought, oh, God, no, he, he might be a buddy Melbourne couple. So, <laughs> so, so I tipped him out, but he, he, he was never the same after that. He, he had a f- few other little issues and he, he eventually went down to Eric Musgrove. Tim, I'll get you to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with Tim Donnelly after this. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gold Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. False Gold was a very useful mare. She only had six starts. She won three. Shane Dye won a race on her. Mark de Montfort won a couple on her. She won up to 1,900 metres, Tim. Yes, John. I, um, Shane Dye, TJ had her originally. I think he had her for the first two starts and, and then I got her. And um, she had her first run, she uh, ran a place for me and then she won second up over a mile and then she won again at, um, at Canterbury on, on a wet day. Uh, she was by alibi. Um, she was a lightly framed, big, big mare. Um, and but she she got hurt after that. I actually took her up to Brisbane, and, and she actually threw the, threw the rider one day and ended up in the dam at, at 
Brisbane, and she actually never came never came back from it. Mm. Um, so um, Stan Dunwell retired her and sent her two volcanic prints. Who he was standing down here down at Wagga, mm. and I I actually bought the first um, file out of False Gold, which was a, a mare called False Economy, and she ended up breaking the track record at Warwick Farm for eleven hundred metres. You were one of several trainers to have Shaske in their stable during his racing career. You had him for a dozen runs, Tim, in 1997. You won a listed race with him at Randwick and you were desperately unlucky not to have won the Brisbane Cup won by Desert Chill in 1997. Got flattened, didn't he? He did, John. Larry Olsen rode him in that race and he, he at the mile he got flattened and he got pushed back to last and probably 20 runners. Uh, ran on to run third, a great run. He, he, he should have run the, won the race, clearly. Look, he, he was a great or Shaskay. And, um, I, I actually, he may not have raced for me again after that. He, he did change trainers quite a bit, uh, the owner, Eric Cowell. Yes. Well, you were one of about nine, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Quite a number. Oh, he was he a very good He did come back horse. and win, 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 win more races again. Uh, Gerald Ryan had him in the end, and, and mm. I think Gerald might have won a big race with him somewhere too. Yeah. He, he actually won a Canterbury Guineas, I remember, with Robert Thompson in the saddle. And Guy Walter had him then. Yeah, Guy Walter had him, but Guy only got him because Brian Mayfield-Smith retired mm. and gave him gave him to Guy. So. Correct. So yeah. May- Mayfield and then he went Smith. to Freedman's and won another group one for, for Freedman's. Yes, he did. Uh, was it the Underwood or the Yolumba, one of those races? Yeah, one of the races at Caulfield, yeah. Yeah, very talented horse, Shaske. Now, a special tribute to a special horse, the bull-striding quick flick who raced 55 times, 16 wins, 13 placings, almost 1.3 million. And it was so good to see him get his Group 1, the 1998 George Ryder, Mark de Montfort rode him, of course, and he beat a good horse too, Tim, Encounter. Yeah, he did. Encounter was the top three-year-old, so we, we gave it a good chunk of weight in that race. Um, he loved Rose Hill quick flick. The 1,500 Rose Hill was his perfect distance for him, and he'd won um, he'd won the Canterbury Stakes uh, the start previously. And um, actually, when he won the Canterbury Stakes, he, he'd chalked over the, the million dollars in prize money that day, and mm-hmm. he was the first horse to race in Australia to win a million dollars without having won a Group 1. Uh, another horse did do it, monopolised, but he won those couple of races in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, so like that it showed the uh, how consistent he was. Like he always ran well in big races. Then like he did, he did earn two hundred thirty thousand for running second in the Stradbroke. So that was a, mm. you know a good bit of prize money then. And he showed you plenty from day one. I think he won his first five straight. And who was riding him back then? The Beaver, Stephen Schofield. Yeah. Well. John, he was a real handful early. Um, when I got him, um, he, I got him at about Christmas time. Um, he'd actually been with another trainer up in Queensland and the major owner in him, he had a lot of horses with that guy and they had a bit of a split. And the guy that owned a third of Quick Flick was an was old owner of mine. Mm-hmm. I had Flickerstar and Grey Sneakers out of the same mare and he convinced uh, this other owner to, to give the horse to me. Um so uh, I, I got the horse, and he was a handful. He threw every person that ever rode him. He just used to whip around when a horse got near him, another horse got near him, and 
Actually, he got beaten 20 lengths in his first trial. Mm-hmm. And if the owner had said to me then, I'm taking this home, I would have said, well, good, take it, because he was a handful. Was he? But mm-hmm. you've never seen a horse could eat like him, John. He, he, and anyway, so I, I trialled him again and, and then, then again, and he got better and better. And I gave him his first start in a race at Randwick in a two-year-old race. Mm-hmm. And he ran seventh, not beaten far. Shindig won the race, ended up winning a group one. Mm-hmm. And then, it, but he played up something, shocked me in the enclosure and, and just uh, I'm not sure whether it was John Shrek or Ray Murray said, look, you better just take that horse away. Mm. So uh, I took him to Cessnock, his next start, which he won by 10, uh, and then he won He won the five straight. I took him. He, mm. he, 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 so three trials and six runs, his first prep for me, So he, and, and licked the tin out every night. Yeah, couldn't upset him. No. Uh, Tim, did his manners improve? He'd still whip around. Look, he got better. He, actually, once he was on the track, he was a beautiful ride. Mm. But if a horse... Just going out, if a horse went past him or came towards him, he could whip as quick as any horse I've ever seen. And, and he, he threw everyone. Actually, he threw Mark down the barrier one day. Goodness mm. me. <laughs> he wouldn't take too kindly to that. Well, I think actually that's why like he won 16 races and he led 14 times. Yeah. And when horses got behind him, I think he was half scared of him. He used to switch the tail and <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yeah, they were running on fear. Yeah, exactly. Apart from the rider, he won two Group 2s, two Group 3s and two listed races. You've always said one of his best runs was in defeat in the 1997 Villiers. He gave Arletti, a good New Zealand mare from the O'Sullivan stable, six kilos. Yeah, look, John, he, he drew near the outside that day. He'd won the Hawkesbury Cup to start before with a big weight. And then, then in the Villiers, I think he had 59 or 60 or something like that. And, and um, actually, he would have carried more weight than Burnborough if he had won it when Burnborough mm. won the Villiers. So he, he got sort of annoyed a bit in front. And Arletti was bailed up on the fence. And I remember Jamie Innes was right behind us. And Jamie sort of let it out and probably won Arletti the race. But that, 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 was, that was a great effort. Mm. Your wife, Trish, was obviously happy when you made the decision to return to Wagga because that was her hometown too. Yeah, that's right. Her, her mother uh, was uh, living down here at the time, not in the best of health, early stages of dementia, and, and she's since passed away. But, uh, yeah, so it was good good to spend uh, some, some time with her anyway before she passed. Your son Alex has shown no inclination to come into racing? Not in the hands-on role. He, 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 he has had a couple of jobs that, that – in the racing industry, he, he actually worked for a, a, a guy um, who was working for a betting syndicate in Japan, doing the form on Japan races. And then, he, then he's had a stint at Sky Channel, and mm. and he's at Bet Three Six Five now. But and, but he's nearly finished. Much to our joy, he's, he's got one subject to do to finish his business management degree at university, which he's done part time. So mm. we're thrilled that he's done that. Yeah, we wish him well. Well, Tim, your stables are situated very close to the Wagga track, which offers outstanding facilities for local trainers. You were telling me the other day you wouldn't want to train anywhere else in Australia. No, that's right, John. Look, the facilities here are great. Our our training tracks, we've got two sand tracks. You know, Wagga's a big track, bigger than Randwick. Um, Two sand tracks. We've got a grass track, which we actually race on. Uh, I think later this month, actually, uh, or next month, we're, we've got two race meetings on there. And during, um, I'd say during the summertime, 
our track would be as good as any track in Australia. Uh, like we've got a fantastic curator, Mark Hart. You know, he, he does a tremendous job. Mm. Now, Mark is the father of two champion trotting exponents, young Cameron and his daughter Ashley, uh, both high achievers in harness racing. Yeah, really. There doesn't seem to be a day go past where Cameron's not not driving a winner. I see he drove one again last night. Yep. No, he's very, very talented. He's the younger of the two. Uh, Ashley took a little while to get going, but she's been winning a share of races too of late. Yeah, Mark's very proud of him. Uh, I notice him on Twitter. He always gives them a mention. Mm, he does, and they deserve it. You had a brush with fame in the early 1980s when you got to look after Kingston Town towards the end of his career. You're going to be around for a few years yet, Tim. I hope you get one half as good one day. Well, we're always trying, John. That's that's, that's the main thing. Just, just keep trying, do your best, and you never know what happens in this game. You've got 12 in work and uh, two or three out in the paddock. Of, of all the horses under your wing at the moment, which one could punters look for uh, in the near future? Uh, I think Torsadon, uh, when she won a maiden the other day, I don't think it's her last win. She, she's a dry track only horse, so we're just going to keep her races spaced a bit. Um, and as long as it's a dry track, and over the short distances, she was tried previously over longer distance, but I don't think she can stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you followed her, um, she, she's definitely one that will keep winning races. And what about the one that won the maiden so impressively, Mongolian Brave? Yeah, he's out. I, I would expect he'd be racing, won't be racing till early next year, but uh, definitely if you see him uh, around Wagga Cup time next year in, in the three-year-old race, um, that, that, that's the one we're aiming for. Tim, it's a long time since I had the pleasure uh, to do an interview with you. I think the last one was for Sky Channel's stable visit long, long time ago. I think Volcanic Prince was the horse we might have featured. Yeah, he would have been, John, for sure. Yeah, I remember that. And it was at Canterbury. I remember visiting your stables at Canterbury. That's right, yep. Tim, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. <laughs>